All three phases showed up on Saturday, offense, defense, and special teams, and Malik Murphy played well in his first start to lift the Texas Longhorns over the BYU Cougars, 35-6. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to $100. That is daily fantasy sports made easy. And on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we're discussing the Texas BYU game from all angles on Saturday offense, defense, special teams, coaching, whatever I feel the need to talk about on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns. And then in the last segment, it's Monday. So, you know, it's time for the Big 12 roundup. Everything you need to know that happened in your least favorite conference outside of the University of Texas over the weekend. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. I want to semi-apologize to my YouTube audience on Locked on Longhorns. Uh, I've been bombarding y'all with the baseball hats. I've been wearing the Texas Rangers hat, of course, because we're in the World Series representing the American League, currently tied 1-1 with Arizona at the time of me recording this podcast. But I woke up this morning and realized I have not gotten a haircut in a calendar month. My last haircut was September 30th. So that's why I have the Yankee hat on today, because I'm a little scruffy, right? I will be getting a haircut this week, I know breaking news from my Locked On Longhorns audience, so uh, there will be a lot less Yankees hats in your future, right? I don't know why I've gone a month without a haircut. I haven't had a reason, really. been kind of busy, but it's the first time I've done this since the pandemic when barbershops were shut down. So it was for a good reason at that point. Like I said, I can't explain it right now, but I will be getting a haircut this week. There will be a lot less Yankees hats in your future on Locked On Longhorns, but... If the Rangers win the World Series, I might just mess around and wear it every day for the rest of the year. So <laughs> we'll see the Rangers hat. Now, unlocked on Longhorns, John, it's time to talk about the Longhorns. And I was very impressed with their performance on Saturday. You know, this could have been an interesting game, a trap game, whatever you want to call it. Malik Murphy in his first start, a lot of injuries on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, specifically on the defense, really. Um, but they came out and shut all of that down, right? This is certainly a game where, you know, Texas, like in the past, could have played, you know, to the level of competition, could have played with their food. But maybe that happened last week against U of H and you got it out of your system. Um, but certainly I was impressed with offense, defense and special teams coming out and beating up on BYU in a dominant fashion, right? The offense scored four touchdowns and certainly left some points on the board. The defense for the second time in conference play held a team without a touchdown and Xavier Worthy, one of the most explosive players in the country uh, was able to get that special teams touchdown, that punt return touchdown. He's been so close uh, really at multiple points throughout the year, especially against Houston last week. And he was able to break it, uh, get into the end zone and take some pressure off of Malik Murphy uh, and this Texas offense. So I was really happy um, that they came out and won in dominant fashion like that. I think their team knew they had to step up and kind of galvanize around Malik Murphy and they certainly did that, even after that early, you know, ugly interception, which we'll talk about here in a second. This BYU team now has been outscored by 73 points in their last three road games, right? They've gone to um, Kansas, TCU, and Texas and been outscored by 73 points after beating Arkansas in a tough, hostile environment on the road. So um, not sure, you know, what's going on with that team, but it's just something about their psyche uh, when they leave Provo, Utah, right? They just haven't been the same team. And I'm glad that this Texas football team didn't give them any hope, right? Or didn't give them any wiggle room to feel like they had a chance. Like I said, they came out and dominated them in all three phases, 35 to six. And this certainly could have been a, a 
you know, a game where they put up 40 to 50 plus points, as we'll talk about here in a minute. They definitely left some points on the field offensively, and that's something they're going to have to clean up ahead of a good game, uh, ahead of a matchup against a really good team in Kansas State. I thought it was a good performance from Malik Murphy in his first start, about what you would expect. 16 to 25, 64% completion percentage for 170 yards, two touchdowns, and one interception. Now, I did go on prize picks before the game and bet the under on Malik Murphy. They had it at 239 yards. I thought that was a lot for a first-time quarterback. Thankfully, it hit, but it felt weird kind of rooting against Malik Murphy, right? He started hitting them deep passes. I was like, chill, chill. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But I'm glad he performed well for sure. He looked really good. And you could tell that like over the course of the game, Things started to slow down for him. He started to get a little bit more comfortable. You saw him taking some check downs to Jonathan Brooks in the second half. Uh, really, you know, saw some maturation in game. And he's going to need that um, next week because he definitely has a tough matchup uh, against that Kansas State team who's playing lights out, you know, right now over the last three weeks. He certainly struggled under pressure. You know, I think that was obvious every time that he got under pressure um, or things got a little complicated for him. You saw him kind of retreat, you know, take five to steps, uh, five to 10 steps backwards um, and just kind of throw off his back foot and launch a prayer. Right. And you certainly can't do that. You got to stand in the pocket, be strong, make reads and make throws. Right. And, you know, taking a sack isn't always the worst thing in the world. Right. You don't want to take a sack, but you obviously, you know, that may be better living to fight another down then retreating 10 yards, throwing it off your backfield, which ultimately led to an interception. So he's got to clean that up. He's got to stand strong in the pocket, make throws under pressure. The offensive line has to do a better job of making sure he's not under pressure. But when he's under pressure, he has to stand in the pocket and make throws. He has that big physical frame, right? I think a sack wouldn't hurt him too much, right? But you can't, absolutely can't do what he did in that first quarter. Like I said, running 10 yards backwards and just launching, uh, uh, you know, throws off your back foot. I know he believes in his arm, but he shouldn't have that much belief in his arm. And that led to uh, a bad interception. Now, thankfully it didn't affect the course of the game too much, but you know, if you give a Kansas state team like that extra opportunities, they will beat you. So that needs to be cleaned up in this week of practice uh, leading up to that game against Kansas state. And I know a lot has been made about his effort on the interception. Um, Emmanuel Acho came out on Twitter and said it was repulsive. I thought that that was a bit extreme. I understand as a Texas fan, you have a lot of passion and a lot of investment into this football team. And so all you ask is that the players show that what you show to this football team, the players show that on the field. I completely understand it. And I know that it was a bad look that he did not show more effort on the interception return. It looked like he kind of just threw his hands up and gave up. Right. And that is a bad look. And I would want him to show more effort in the future in that situation. But I also look at it as Quinn Ewers is already out and we're one hit away from Arch Manning having to play in meaningful games as a true freshman. So although it looked bad and I would like Malik Murphy to show more effort, I would much rather have Malik Murphy healthy and in the game, right? Not trying to make tackles like a defensive player. So I get it was a bad look. I'm not trying to convince anybody that it wasn't, but I think it was better off that he did not try to attempt to make a tackle and that we have Malik Murphy healthy for the rest of the game. The fumble, I thought that that was a good play design. And if they were able to execute it, they would have scored. Uh, I think that was supposed to be like a fake handoff, fake screen, and then throw to Xavier Worthy on the other side of the field where he only had to make one person miss to score a touchdown. But because it wasn't blocked and executed correctly, we never got to make the pass to Xavier Worthy. And Malik Murphy got tackled before he could even spin around and make the throw. So I don't put that, you know, turnover on him. I think. Uh, the right side of the offensive line and Jonathan Brooks needed to pick up their blocks a little bit better. Uh, but also it's just a great play call in that moment by BYU, right? To blitz while Texas is trying to run a long developing play. And ultimately it just didn't develop. So I can't say that Malik Murphy fumbled. I mean, he did fumble, obviously, but I can't put that on him and say that that was a turnover he caused. It just was a bad play at the wrong time. And, you know, he fumbled while not even looking, you know, why he got hit, right? Didn't even know the hit was coming 
and, and next thing you know, the ball is on the ground. And then he had two potential catches by Xavier Worthy that your number one wide receiver just has to make, right? That third and two where the ball was a little low, Xavier Worthy had his hands on it. He has to catch it. And then that ball in the end zone, right? I'm not saying that Xavier Worthy dropped it. I'm not saying that it was a tough catch. But if you're a number one wide receiver, if you're one of the best players in the country at that position, you got to bring that ball in. If he does, we're talking about 72% completion percentage, over 200 yards and three touchdowns from Leak Murphy in his debut. So he definitely struggled against, uh, under pressure, definitely had a bad interception and some you know bad questionable throws in that first quarter. But over the course of the game, he got better and still in his first start when you would expect some growing pains, put on a really good performance. Now I want to talk about the running back room because I feel as though at this point, the running back distribution should be very clear, but for some reason it's not, <laughs> you know, to Steve Sarkeesian and whoever else is making that decision. Jonathan Brooks obviously is your running back one, uh, 1,135 total yards and eight touchdowns on only 166 touches thus far, 6.8 yards every time he touches the ball. Jonathan Brooks has been your offensive MVP this year and certainly should be the leading candidate for the Doak Walker Award this year. Now, Cedric Baxter coming into the year was the number one running back coming out of high school. And I believe that he will be a great running back in the future at the university of Texas, but they tried to make him the starter the first two games. And everybody who has seen Jonathan Brooks play was surprised by that, right? Because we always thought he was the next man up after B. John Robinson and Roshan Johnson left. And after two games, we saw exactly why Jonathan Brooks should have been the starter. And I'm not even sure if Cedric Baxter has been fully healthy at any point this season after the rice game but right now as i'm watching on my screen and i think most texas fans would echo this he just does not look explosive he does not look dynamic especially as not as the other players that are behind him and getting less touches so you know i understand you got to follow the recruiting ranking i understand you got to follow the money but we're trying to win football games jonathan brooks Jaden blue and keelan robinson have all looked more explosive than cedric baxter this year Yet Sark and whoever are making those decisions are hell-bent on making Cedric Baxter our running back too, when it should be as obvious and as simple as getting our best and most explosive players on the field. So I talk about Jonathan Brooks. There's no question that he should be the running back one, and that should have been known in the summer, but definitely has been the case since the third game of the season. When you look at Jaden Blue, 163 total yards and a touchdown on 28 touches, and he was explosive. Like I said, he jumps off the screen every time I see him since the spring game. The same thing on Saturday in garbage time, right? 5.8 yards every time he touches the ball. When I look at Keelan Robinson, only 12 touches this year for 77 yards, 12 touches in eight games for one of the most explosive players on the football team, six and a half yards every time he touches the ball, looked explosive against BYU on Saturday. Cedric Baxter has 301 yards on 70 touches and two touchdowns. That's not horrible by any means, but it's only 4.3 yards per touch compared to six and a half from Keelan Robinson 5.8 from Jaden Blue and 6.8 from Jonathan Brooks, right? They're all over 5.8 and he's at 4.3 yards per touch. And yet he's getting the second most touches out of the running back room compared to Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson. It does not make any sense to me. If you, and I know that you can say if Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson had 70 touches, they might not be as explosive and their yards per touch would go down. I'll certainly accept that argument. That's just simple math. But if you look at it the way that things are being presented right now, if Jaden Blue had 70 touches, he would have 406 total yards compared to 301 for Cedric Baxter this year. If Keelan had 70 touches this year, he would have 455 yards compared to 301 for Cedric Baxter. So I know Cedric Baxter is the future of the running back position at the University of Texas. I know Cedric Baxter will be a dominant running back at the University of Texas in the future. But right now, he looks less dynamic than Jonathan Brooks, Keelan Robinson, and Jaden Blue. And I don't think I'm the only one that sees that when we watch these games every Saturday. And I think the running back distribution should be 
you know, handled based on who was giving you the most production at that position. And right now, Cedric Baxter is our fourth most productive running back in terms of yards per touch. Yet he's getting the second most touches on this football team based on how much NIL he was given and his recruiting ranking. And I just don't think that's fair to Jaden Blue or Keelan Robinson. I don't think that's fair to the rest of the players on the football team. And I don't think that's fair to the fans who can see, obviously, with their eyes that Jaden Blue and Keelan Robinson deserve more touches on this football team. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we get into some of the issues in the red zone that have been an issue all season on offense and the spectacular defensive performance by the Texas football team this Saturday. This episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by Athletic Brewing Company, the non-alcoholic beer that is changing the game. Last week, Kristen Jones was our game changer of the week. This week, it was Xavier Worthy, right? Coming out with that punt return touchdown, getting seven points on the board. You essentially won the game right there. BYU only scored six, and it definitely took some pressure off the young quarterback in his first start in Malik Murphy, and Texas ultimately won 35-6. to six. So a big shout-out to our game changer of the week, Xavier Worthy, for that punt return touchdown. Athletic Brewing Company has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good, full flavor, and well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. They brew over 50 styles of craft non-alcoholic beer, including IPAs, golden, sours, and more. They are fit for all times, as Kristen Jones would tell you. So you can drink them anytime, anywhere, and make any, any activity even more enjoyable and the best part no hangovers ever you can find athletic brewing companies non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com first time customers can use code locked on to get 15 off your first online order that's code locked on at checkout for 15 off at athleticbrewing.com near beer exclusions and conditions apply athletic brewing company it is fit for all times All right, we are now eight games through the season. And I know when we talk about, you know, the football team, we always talk about there's room for improvement. And there are, you know, things that you can improve on throughout the week or throughout the season, little things that you can tune up, right, and clean up. But when we talk about the red zone issues for this Texas football team, I just have to start to believe that this is who they are, right? If halfway through the season, right, more than halfway through the season, the number seven team in the country with one of the most explosive offenses in the country, one of uh, some of the most explosive offensive personnel in the country, and one of the best offensive minds in the country, after eight games, is one of the 10 worst red zone teams in the country. At this point, I have to just believe that's who they are, right? When it's been the case with two different quarterbacks, multiple running backs, multiple different game situations, I have to believe this is just who we are. And it reared its ugly head again on Saturday when you had back-to-back -back drives in the second half that ended on the BYU two-yard line, right? Like I said, you know, the last time we talked about this, I'm not sure what needs to change or what needs to get better, right? Everybody at this point, I think, needs to improve. I was somewhat disappointed by the um, very nonchalant, very conservative play calling once we got down there. I mean, like trying to run it three straight times uh, with the Wildcat with Savion Red. I thought that was very unimaginative. There looked like there was a point where uh, Malik Murphy was hurt and he was trying to make a couple throws into the end zone and um, it's just not working out. <laughs> I don't know what it is. You know, like I said, last time the offensive line got to get better, the running backs, the receivers, the quarterback, everybody has to get better. Sark has to get better. But that just feels still like it's too elementary of an explanation. I don't know if it's mental. I don't know what's going on, but there is no reason in the world that this Texas football team that we consider a big 12 championship and a national, I mean, a college football playoff contender at this point, 
can get to the BYU two-yard line twice on back-to-back drives and not get zero points out of it. Texas is now 120th in the country, scoring a touchdown 48% of the time in the red zone. Texas is not even scoring a touchdown half the time they get into the opposing team's 20-yard line. With all of that talent on offense, with Steve Sarkeesian calling the plays, with all five starters on the offensive line returning, we are scoring a touchdown only 48% of the time we get into the opposing team's 20-yard line. It does not make sense to me. Maybe we need to utilize certain players more down there. Maybe we need to throw more 50-50 balls to our bigger targets and add an I Mitchell and uh, JT Sanders. Maybe Sark has to get a, bit, a little bit more creative down there with the running game or just a play calling period. I am not sure what's going on, but it's safe to say at this point that this just might be who we are, and this is our Achilles heel. If there is one thing that is going to keep Texas from achieving their goals this year, it's certainly injuries right now. I'm going to knock on wood and hope that the team can you know, stay healthy for the rest of the season, missing your starting quarterback and some key players on defense. But it's absolutely this red zone offense. You cannot convince me that Texas is one of the best teams in the country if you can't score 50% of the time, a touchdown 50% of the time in the red zone, right? We would never talk about one of the best teams in the country not being able to score a touchdown 50% of the time in the red zone. So it feels like that's who they are at this point. That's something they certainly have to clean up because that will end up being Texas' Achilles heel, and they will not be able to reach their goals if they cannot do a better job of getting down there and scoring at a high level in the red zone. Now, like I said, you know, it could be that we're not getting certain players involved enough, right? That certainly is a problem. Jordan Whittington is one of the most explosive players, especially after the catch in the country. And somebody who certainly could make plays down in the red zone area as tough and physical as he is. And he's a great route runner as well. And Witt did not have a catch on Saturday. He now has five games with less than 20 yards. I talked about not getting Keelan Robinson and Jaden Blue on the field enough. Jordan Whittington is on the field, but we're not getting him the ball enough, right? And I know that we have our play calls and, and our offensive system and how we run things. But at some point, Steve Sarkeesian is just going to have to say, let me get Jordan Whittington involved. Let me get the ball in Jordan Whittington's hands and good things will happen, right? I do not know why we begged Jordan Whittington to come back this year to not feature him at all. And five out of the eight games, he's had less than 20 receiving yards. Half of his production on the season came in the Oklahoma game. He needs the ball more. JT Sanders, I know he's been banged up. I know he hasn't been 100%, you know, recently, but he only has 20 catches on the season. We're talking about him being one of the best uh, in his position in the country, right? And a future top two or three, maybe round pick in the NFL, right? And he should be a mismatch against everybody you put him against, right? Safeties, corners, linebackers. He should always be open, damn near, or we should be scheming him open as much as possible, right? He should be one of our biggest mismatch problems like Brock Bowers at Georgia, but he only has 20 catches on the season through eight games. That's like two and a half catches a game. We certainly can utilize him a lot more. And then Jonte Cook, right? We've talked about all of the true freshman ball and Cedric Baxter, 70 touches thus far through eight games. Uh, Malik, uh, Malik Muhammad has played over 200 snaps. Anthony Hill has played over 200 snaps. Derek Williams has played over 100 snaps. Jonte Cook was a top 50 player in the country coming into the season. And we certainly have the, the quarterback, the offense to utilize four wide receivers. And he only has four catches in eight games, right? That's another player that's super explosive, a really good route runner, can win one-on-one -on -one matchups and can possibly make you more explosive in the red zone along with JT Sanders and Jordan Whittington. So 
Texas certainly has a offensive problem down in the red zone, but I think they have a playmaker problem. And players like Jordan Whittington, JT Sanders, Jonte Cook, Keelan Robinson, and Jaden Blue need more touches in the back half of the season for this Texas offense to reach their full potential, in my opinion. Now I want to talk about the Texas defense really quickly because they were dominant. Like I said, this is the second time in conference that they have held an opponent without a touchdown, Baylor and BYU. And I thought in back-to-back games, they had an uncharacteristic performance, right? They obviously weren't great against Oklahoma. You can make the argument that they lost the game, giving up a touchdown with 71 seconds left to Dylan Gabriel. And then you let a U of A's team score 24 points, uh donovan smith almost threw for 400 yards we could not stop a crossing route and that game came down to the wire when it absolutely should not have and i know it was more about the texas defense not performing than what houston's offense did because kansas state just shut them out (laughs) literally a week after we could not stop a crossing route u of h could not even score a single point against kansas state so it definitely was just a down performance from the defense they certainly came back and made up for it holding BYU to only six points. Two interceptions by Michael Taft, his second game in a row with the interception. Um, And then Terrence Brooks had an interception as well. They both had big returns too, uh, which set up the offense and Malik Murphy. And then you had that fumble recovery by Jare Bledsoe. Uh, which I think led to a uh, touchdown by Jaden Blue as well. So three turnovers, um, and even with two turnovers by Texas, you were still able to win the turnover battle, which was huge. And then you held them to 292 yards on 66 plays, only 4.4 yards per play from the BYU offense. To put that in context, Texas averaged 5.9 with their first-time starting quarterback in Malik Murphy. And we talk about third downs being the money downs, right? You held them to three for 14 on third down, even though they had two fourth down conversions. So that's going to happen when a team is fighting for their life and playing from 20, 30 points behind, right? They're going to have to make decisions like that, and they're going to get more fourth downs. But three for 14 on third down is where this Texas defense made their money. So a dominant performance holding them without a touchdown, three turnovers, 4.4 yards per play, and barely over 20% conversion rate on third downs. That'll get you a win. That'll get you a dominant win, and that's certainly what happened on Saturday when Texas beat BYU 35-6. to So like I said, it was one of my favorite performances of the season. I thought all three phases showed up, offense, defense, and special teams. We certainly have the potential to be more explosive on offense, and hopefully we see that in the back half of the season. But this was a game in the past that Texas likely comes out and plays with their food, and they did the opposite of that on Saturday. And I think as Texas fans, that's all you can ask for, right? Teams aren't always going to be perfect, but if they come out there and play with 100% effort and put a performance on tape that we think is indicative of how good this football team is, that's all you can ask for. We'll clean things up and get ready for Kansas State on Saturday. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we get into the Big 12 Roundup to close out the show. Today's episode of Locked On Longhorns is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks, the largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform in North America. We are the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. It's just you against the numbers instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks. You pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. I told you all I took the under on Malik Murphy this Saturday, 239 passing yards. I thought that was a lot for a first-time starter. He only got 170. I was able to make some money this weekend. Be like me and make some money as well, right? You're smart. You're listening to this podcast. You know football. You know college sports. You know professional sports. Apply that knowledge and make some money doing it. Prize Picks is the most fun I've had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. You just select two or more players 
pick more or less on their projected stats and place your entry. Prize picks is really simple to play. I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Every time I've made a withdrawal, it's been into my account within two hours. So talk about quick and easy, right? You can you can make a parlay and hit and get your money before you go to the club, right? And now prize picks offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit matchup up to one hundred dollars that's prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match of up to two hundred dollars i'm not advising you to put in a parlay before you go to the club you know and hope that it hits so you have some money to spend at the club that would be somewhat irresponsible but hey life happens (laughs) and if that parlay hit and you got to go to the club hey Prospects will get that money in your account fast for you, right? All right, now let's talk about the Big 12 roundup. And Oklahoma has been playing some very uninspiring football since they beat Texas. Some would say that Texas was their Super Bowl. <laughs> I'm not sure. But they came out, you know, in an emotional game for Dylan Gabriel in uh, Oklahoma after the bye, uh, playing UCF where he spent the majority of his career there. They barely beat them, I think, by either one or two points. And then that showed up again on the road against Kansas, but this, this time in a loss. Uh, Dylan Gabriel threw for less than 200 yards through a pick six, which ultimately was the difference uh, in a five point game. And I think Kansas just played really well, you know, rushing for over 200 yards and, um, you know, had that home field advantage and it showed up and, and, you know, it led them to beating a really tough Oklahoma team. So Oklahoma has their first loss on the season. I still think if they, you know, went out and get back to playing the football they were in the first half of the season, they'll be in the Big 12 championship game. But Kansas certainly made things a lot more interesting getting that win over Oklahoma, their first top 10 win, maybe ever, but certainly in a long time. Um, But like I said, they make the Big 12 race, uh, Big 12 championship race a lot more interesting beating Oklahoma on Saturday. Kansas State over the last three games has played better than anybody in the Big 12, and I don't think that's debatable, right? I talked about how this Texas defense could not solve Houston's offense last week at all. They came back and shut down that same Houston offense and held them to zero points while also scoring 41 points for the second time in three weeks. They're averaging over 40 in their last three games. Their lowest point total in their last three games is 38 points. So since they lost to Oklahoma State, they have flipped the switch. And now, like I said, they come into Austin next Saturday and they get to play a team that's hobbled in Texas and a team in Malik Murphy that's making his second start, right? So you certainly are looking at Kansas State and saying this could be their opportunity to get to their second straight Big 12 championship game. And I think the winner of this game on Saturday between Texas and Oklahoma, excuse me, Texas and Kansas State, I'm sorry, which is why I'm not sure why it's at 11 because it's a huge game. I think it'll determine who plays Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. I think it's that serious, this game between Texas and Kansas State on Saturday. I'll say it again. The winner of that game, I believe, will play Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship. So Kansas State has been balling the last three games. Texas is certainly hobbled. Texas is favored by five at the moment, but this is going to be a dogfight on Saturday. And like I said, I think the winner ends up in the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma. West Virginia, 41 over UCF, 28. This has just been a theme throughout the season. The new Big 12 teams have not been able to beat the old Big 12 teams, and that has continued. Iowa State, 30 over Baylor, 18. Just a very tough year uh, for Blake Aranda. I mean, for Dave Aranda. (laughs) Jeez, I was about to say Blake Shapin. Even with Blake Shapin coming back, they still have had some really bad, embarrassing losses. And Iowa State has held serve, right? I don't think they're the type of team that can make the Big 12 championship. But I think at this point, they still only have one Big 12 loss. So they're in that mix of all of these teams, right, that are, you know, hovering around that opportunity trying to make it. So um, 
Iowa State, we'll see what they are, you know, in the back half of their schedule. But a very disappointing year for Baylor and Dave Aranda, even with the starting quarterback back in Blake Shapin. And then going back to old Big 12 teams versus new Big 12 teams, Cincinnati 13, Oklahoma State 45. Oklahoma State certainly in the Big 12 race as well with only one conference loss. They play Oklahoma uh, this week at home. So if they're going to get there, they absolutely have to win that game. Um, but we know strange things happen, you know, uh, on the road in Stillwater, especially at night. And Oklahoma State has certainly had a very good season, a better season than most people thought when half the team transferred in the offseason. So Oklahoma State, Oklahoma will be ha- will be a game that will catch my eye um, this weekend. But like I said, I think the biggest game in the Big 12 this season at this point is Kansas State and Texas. I think the winner of that game will face off against Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. And, of course, because it's a big game, we'll have a ton more coverage, and we'll talk about that game a lot more leading up to it on Saturday on Locked On Longhorns. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace. Go Rangers.